So, good evening and welcome to the Burgage Hall for this evening's Lebbury Poetry Festival event. I'd like to take the opportunity to thank Arts Council England, sponsors of Lebbury Poetry Festival, now in its 22nd year. I'd also like to thank our local sponsors of tonight's event, Stuart and Wendy Houghton and the Feathers Hotel. So, tonight's performer has been a stand-up comedian award-winning comedy writer, broadcaster, and hugely successful TV and film producer. Through his production company, Baby Cow, in collaboration with Steve Coogan, he's been behind many cult TV comedies, including Nighty Night, Human Remains, and The Mighty Boosh. He also co-wrote the groundbreaking The Royal Family and produced the Oscar-nominated Philomena. But from the age of 14, he's written poetry and early in his career toured with Sheffield band Pulp as a performance poet. In the late 80s, his style was described as eccentric and he once performed with a paper bag on his head. After years of working behind the scenes to bring us Mrs. Merton and Gavin and Stacey, these days he's now very much centre stage, performing his unique brand of stories and poetry and living up to the motto, I really like this, of the Live Poets Society he helped form back in the day, poetry so good you can actually understand it. We're lucky to have him here tonight because he actually has his own poetry festival, which he founded in his hometown of Nottingham, a city which also honoured him with his own beer. Ladies and gentlemen, like his namesake, beer, just 4.2% mild... <laughs> Performing for us tonight, hopefully minus paper bag, please welcome to the stage, Henry Normal. Thank you. What a lovely introduction that was. That was gorgeous. And uh, you finally, after, was it 22 years, you've got round to inviting me. That's lovely, that. Yes. I, 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 as I said, I, I, had to, I had to make my own poetry festival. To, to get myself on. Uh, so, uh, so thanks ever so much. Um, that's lovely. I, I, I'm going to do poetry tonight because we're at a, a poetry festival. Um, I, I was described once as uh, uh, my poetry, that is, as a cross between Leonard Cohen and Daffy Duck. <laughs> or the humour and frivolity of Leonard Cohen <laughs> and the spiritual depth of Daffy Duck. <laughs> so uh, um, there will be some, uh, some jokes tonight. You'll spot them. There's big gaps between them. Uh, and uh, the, you know, and if you if you find, do find anything funny, do laugh. You know, I know it's poetry, but do do laugh. I don't want you going home tonight going. I, I could have laughed. <laughs> I'm a fool to myself. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm going I'm to do a, a general theme of creativity because I'm recording a show at the BBC on Monday uh, um, about creativity, and I, I thought I'm not sure whether I've got it right. I'll go to Ledbury; they'll tell me. So I thought, I've, I've, been, I've been round today, I, I've enjoyed uh, looking round, I, I, I enjoyed your well worth it uh, um, shop, that's, uh, I've not seen that before, that's quite, that's quite, a, that's quite good that isn't it, for, for, for Woolworths, uh, um, and, uh, and you've got a, I'll tell you what I might find very strange, you've got a, uh, on the high street a, a lingerie shop. A very sexy lingerie shop. Now, that, 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 I, I have been in Victoria's Secret, and uh, I've discovered what Victoria's Secret is. Uh, she makes money from uh, um, stereotyping women. Uh, not much of a secret, really, when you think about it, but there you go. Uh, that was one of those jokes, but not, uh, not as funny as I'd hoped. So that, that, that won't be making the Radio 4. All right, so, uh, um, uh, yes, so what we're talking about is creativity. Creativity uh, and... Uh, 
imagination. And uh, as T.S. Eliot uh, once said, a poet is, uh, a poet's hope is to be like a valley cheese, local but prized everywhere. And I, I'm from Nottingham. I don't know whether you've noticed my accent. I'm, I'm from Nottingham. So my poetry has been described as Stilton, <laughs> in that it stinks. And uh, uh, there are some blue bits in it. But um, he also said, T.S. Eliot, he also said uh, famously, immature poets imitate, but mature poets steal. So this is my first poem. It's called The Wasteland. <laughs> now, you see, I knew I could do that joke in Ledbury. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking to the upper end of the food chain here, aren't I? Yeah, uh, yeah. Sometimes I have to put a reading list at the back for, uh, you know, for, for some of the jokes, but uh, thank you very much. So this is my first poem. It answers some questions you might have. It's called Some People. Some people will be wondering if everything, if everything in the show tonight will be in rhyme. And I've now worked out that it won't. <laughs> Some people will be wondering if everything in the show tonight will be funny. And I've now worked out <laughs> that it won't. Some people will be wondering if everything in the show tonight will be repetitive. No, <laughs> it won't. Some people are wondering if it'll be too cerebral. Some people are wondering what the word cerebral means. Some people have already decided this is not proper poetry. Some people are now feeling pretty smug about their own poetry. Some people will be here wondering whether or not there's anyone in the audience they can fantasise about having sex with whilst pretending to listen to this so-called poetry. Do you hear those laughs? That's laughs of recognition. <laughs> Some people here will be wondering if they should have gone to the toilet before. Some people here will be wondering if they should have gone to the toilet instead. Some people here will be wondering... Uh, Some people are here because they came with a partner or friend and are now re-evaluating that relationship and their opinions. Some people here, because they don't have a partner or friend or relationships, or opinions. <laughs> Some people here will be wondering if they should have been insulted by that last joke. Some people are now a little bit uncomfortable that I've mentioned the word joke in a poem, which is confusing. <laughs> Some people will be wondering why I didn't stop this poem ten lines ago when it <laughs> peaked. Some people will be wondering if I even know what they're wondering, and wondering whether I even know what I'm wondering half the time. Some people were wondering if I'm just wondering about my own wonderings and about other people and don't realise that the other people have stopped laughing and are just wondering. Some people were wondering if this is his only poem or it's his best poem or emblematic of his poetry as a whole or not in fact a poem at all as they originally suspected. Some people were wondering why he suddenly started referring to himself in the third person. And when it's done, some people will be wondering, should we clap? Thank you. Thank you. How totally unexpected. <laughs> Thank you very much. So I'm going to mention, uh, I'm going to mention my books whilst I'm here. So I've got this one. Look at this. Have a listen to this. Hey, that's a proper book, that is. My, my, my sister said that's a proper book, that, like you get at a jumble sale. 
So this is, uh, this is written by me and my wife, uh, and it's got poems in it, and it's got our story, and it's the story of our, our, our lad who's uh, now 20, and he's autistic. Uh, and I don't know if there's anybody here uh, who's got autistic uh, kids. Uh, uh, there is, yes. Uh, uh, thank you for coming. Uh, uh, and uh, if you want to have a little sleep later, I'll understand. Uh, um, so, so we've written this to, to our lad. Uh, it took about two years because I wanted to do it right. I didn't want to mess around. I wanted to, to make it. It's the only time I'll get to tell this story. Uh, and, um, and so I did it. And I said to my wife, I said, will you, will you write it with me? And she said, I can't. It's, it, it's too painful. Uh, and uh, I said, well, I'm going to write it. So I, I spent a year uh, and, and I, I wrote uh, stuff. And, and then I showed it to her. And I said, uh, I said, I don't know if I'm doing this right. Uh, so, I, so I gave it to her and, and she read it. And she said... Uh, well, I can write better than that. <laughs> Cheeky devil. So she wrote some as well. So she's wrote about a third, and, and I've written about a third. Uh, um, I'll read the, the dedication for you. Dedicated to our son, Johnny, who you may not be surprised to learn, has absolutely no interest in this book. <laughs> so uh, I say it's, uh, it's, about, uh, it's about Johnny, and it's got loads of poems in. I'll be doing some poems uh, uh, from this uh, today. Uh, and you, you can buy it at the back. Um, you can also buy it on uh, Amazon uh, if you uh, want to give it to people who don't pay the taxes. But we don't like that, do we? So, uh, um, uh, this is another book I've got here. It's called Steering Directly at the Eclipse, uh, and it's not named after Trump. I don't know whether uh, some of you saw Trump steer at the eclipse. Uh, um, and uh, The strange thing was... Just before he stared at the eclipse, um, somebody said, don't stare at the eclipse. Don't look up. I, and he, and he had, had to look up. I thought, why didn't you say, don't punch yourself in the face? <laughs> or don't resign. That would be good. Anyway, back to creativity. So... Uh, um, I should say that uh, uh, there's a guarantee with the books uh, uh, that if you don't like them at all, you can bring them back and I'll give you some books I don't like. <laughs> so that's good. So when did creativity start, you ask? Well, well when's it going to start? You're prob probably asking, aren't you? Uh, um, so uh, I reckon it started uh, back about... Uh, with cave paintings. I reckon it started back uh, about 10,000 to, to 40,000 years ago. And you see all these cave paintings. Now, I'm, I, as I'm from Nottingham, so we have a cave painting. We have the most northerly cave painting in the world in, in Nottingham. I don't know whether you know this. Cresswell Crags. Uh, it's the most northerly cave painting, and, and it's the only one that's been graffitied over. Uh, which is a sad, isn't it, uh, uh, I, I think. Uh, although in 10,000 years, people won't know the difference, will they? It's all creativity. It's all art. That's somebody expressing themselves. Uh, my um, uh, my favourite uh, cave paintings are in Argentina, uh, and there's a cave, and I don't know whether you know this, thousands of, of, of caves around the world with, with Anne paintings on. And the, these uh, cave paintings in uh, Caveas de, de Manos, uh, uh, which is a cave of ants, uh, um, and there's hundreds of them in, the, in this cave. Uh, this was well before 1986, so none of them are pushing a ball into a net. <laughs> Little uh, joke there for the uh, football uh, fans amongst you. So uh, this is called uh, Cave of Ants. I place my left hand on that most solid, spread out my fingers to form a stencil, blow kaolin and manganese through hollow bone, to leave a silhouette, whether we call it art or human nature. On every continent, something survives, vulnerable as dust. 
over 2,000 generations call, each with a simple statement, as urgent as blood through veins. I am here. I am here. I am here. So my uh, uh, thought process on this creativity is that all art is essentially that. It's just telling people that you're here. It's self-portrait. Because all art comes from, from yourself. Um, so I'm going to uh, talk a little bit about uh, uh, that throughout the poems. Um, I don't think it's to do with ego. I think it's to do with the, uh, um, the idea that we want to communicate. And I think this is what poetry is. Poetry gets a bad name in some places, obviously not in Ledbury. But in some places, people think it's, it's not for them. And I think it's for everyone, because I, I think it's, it's communication, and it's the purest form of communication. So I've worked in television, so I've worked on things like Philomena, where we had uh, 200 people working on it. And here, it's me and you. And there's nobody pulling it this way or pulling it that way. This is pure communication. This is what I want to say to you. Uh, and and I, I love that about it. And that's the beautiful thing about, uh, about poetry. So... Um, I started writing poem when I was younger. Now, what I noticed was that when you're younger, your capacity for imagination, your capacity for creating, is is wider. It's wider than we we see. We sort of narrow it down as we go. Older. But when I was a kid, you know, I, I was like I was a surrealist. Uh, I'll give you an idea. So this this is this is a called uh, "All Kids Are Born with Long Thin Mustaches," dedicated to Salvador Dali. Uh, who some of you may know uh, for the last two years of his life painted with one foot in the grave and won the bowl of custard. <laughs> Trying that joke out tonight. <laughs> That's an exclusive for you uh, and uh, uh, I don't think for anybody else. Here we go. All, all kids are born with long thin moustaches. Like most kids, I suppose, I was a natural surrealist. I used to think nothing of playing football for hours in my cowboy outfit. I had no concept, concept of... Oh, sorry, I'll start again. My name's Henry Normal. <laughs> Gone back too far, never mind. All right. I had no concept of relative scale and no distinct understanding of the comparative relationship between any two objects. My action man would regularly itch lifts, straddle across the two-inch Maxbox fire engine. Toilet rolls, shoe boxes, elastoplast reels and coat hangers and fairy liquid bottles were all stock, multifaceted components to fit into any imaginary play world. But never... I always felt this to be one of the major drawbacks to my creativity. The double-sided sticky tape, Blue Peter and Magpie presenters, some always assumed you'd have lying around. For years, I pictured all middle-class kids having drawers full of the stuff. Large cardboard boxes could change in seconds from racing cars to jet planes to speedboats just by a slight alteration in the accompanying engine noise. Any sheet or tablecloth became a tent which I'd just sit in for days and days and days. One of my very favourite games was when the British 8th Army Desert Patrol Airfix soldiers would fight off the alien spaceship, which was always made out of Lego and manned by fuzzy felt farm animals. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, um, so, uh, talking about uh, uh, perception um, and, 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 uh, and, and context, and uh, so I, I looked it up uh, on Wiki, uh, what context means, and uh, it says... Um, a frame that surrounds an event and provides re uh, resources for its appropriate interpretation. It is thus. I always love a thus in a sentence, don't you? 
It is thus a, relative, a relativistic concept, only definable with respect to some focal event, not independently. So what they're actually saying is that to define context, you need context. I love that. I, I love those twists of uh, uh, English language and, and logic. Um, so... When you get a word like thus, you think, I bet you'd get away with murder with that, couldn't you? You go, you know, uh, um, all men are created equal. Nigel Reese from quote-unquote, he's a man. Thus, all men are Nigel Reese. <laughs> Not going to work, is it? Not going to work, never mind. So uh, as we get older, what we do is we, we, uh, we try to make sense of the world. And I... I Think this is why we love lists. Have you noticed that people love lists? You know, you know the Ten Commandments. If it was a paragraph, nobody'd be bothered, would they? <laughs> but if you have got a list, like you know, uh, one thou shall not kill, you go, oh, that's good. I'll take that one. And then you go, uh, thou shalt not uh, steal, and you go, oh, not steal. I can take that one. And then you go, thou shalt not commit adultery, and you go, I'll put off. For, for that, and you, you look, look, something nice about a list. So this is a poem called uh, "Thing to Do List." Uh, number one: Write a list of things to do. Tick. Two: Give each item a number. Tick. Three: Tick things off as they are done. Tick. Four: Write down stuff you've already done so you can enjoy ticking it off. <laughs> Tick. Present as a poem. Tick. Six, lose interest. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I, I love the fact that people recognise that they do that, write things down. My wife does that all the time. I love her for that. Mm. So... Um, what I find interesting is that we know the world that we built uh, and we know that all the great civilizations they've come up with some stuff and there's been some clever people. I mean, the, the, we're talking about the, the, the cave... The, the, those people who did the cave drawings, that's over 10,000 years ago, they can draw better than I can. Do you know, if you look, if you look at some of the, 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 the drawings of bison and, and, uh, and horses and stuff, even with... Windows paintbrush, I couldn't do that. Do you know what I mean? And, and yet they're, they're on cave walls and they've scratched little bits of uh, paint. So, so there's been some really clever people and some really clever people in uh, Greece and, and Rome and everything. But when I started looking at it, it did a, I find it very fascinating that even the ancient Greeks, as clever as they were, and the ancient Romans, they didn't invent the zero, the number zero. That was invented by Indians. That was invented in India. And so whenever I think about creativity and as getting the best out of the world, I think about how inclusive we've got to be. Because you can't get to the moon without zero. You can't have computers without zero. There's so many things you can't have without zero. Um, this is called, with zero, the house always wins. Emptiness is an even number, neither positive nor negative, created in the imagination as beautiful, a perfect circle, a hole into which all the numbers of the universe divide. 
Hard now to believe there was a time before quantification of that which doesn't exist. Uncontained, impossible to communicate, only an unnamed absence. Proper poem there, I thought. Slip that in, see if you were listening. That's where the Um So, uh, imagination. Uh, um, some of you will probably be thinking about the 80s pop group. It's an illusion. <laughs> My wife, uh, uh, in, in, she's a big 80s fan. She showed me this, um, she showed me this uh, a bit on the internet the other day, uh, and it was a picture of an 80s soft rock band, and it said, um, bloody foreigner. <laughs> Coming over here demanding to know what love is. <laughs> <laughs> She, she, she shows me all these bits off Facebook. I, I love them. And my favourite was uh, um, Flat Earth Society, members all around the world. <laughs> Corker, isn't it, that one? So, um, uh, what, I, I, one of the th first, thing, first ways you think about uh, um, the, uh, the old idea of I imagination is, is through your parents and through uh, stories they tell and, and, and basically lies that, that, that your parents tell you. And, and it came home to me when I was about seven uh, and I was going to the dentist. It's a true story. I was going to the dentist with my sister, Linda. She's a couple of years older than me. Uh, and, um, and my mother uh, wanted it to make it easy for me. So she said, um, uh, what flavour gas do you want? This was in the days when you used to have gas so uh, my sister Linda and I were having gas here and Linda said I'll have uh, orange gas and, and I said uh, without hesitation I said fruitcake <laughs> sort of gas I want and and and, uh, and so so we, we cheerfully then cheerfully we were off to the to the dentist thinking I'm gonna get some fruitcake gas I'm, I'm, I'm sorted <laughs> so so they put us in these two chairs and we sat in these two chairs and uh, the dentist comes up with his gas thing and he puts it on my sister Linda and she falls asleep, and then he comes over to me, and he's not changed it. <laughs> so I shout, I don't want orange. I'm fruitcake, fruitcake me. <laughs> what the hell he must have thought, I don't know. <laughs> but that's imagination, isn't it? That my mum had come up with this idea to make it nice for us. I, I love that. And, you know, we look at the big leaps of imagination, but they happen all around us. Uh, and that empathy... Uh, that is a driver to that, uh, and, uh, and it's sort of a way of learning through other people's mistakes, I think, empathy, uh, uh, so it's very useful. Uh, it's a little poem I wrote uh, um, watching my wife and the son uh, put on their um, wetsuits, called Dry Humour, a cautionary verse. Wetsuits are hard to put on, tightness is part of their charm, but too tight is the one you try to don by putting your leg through the arm. Else, anybody else done that? Yeah, oh, they're tight enough anyway, aren't they? Do you know what I mean? Uh, uh, there you go. Uh, now, I realise that's just a ditty. I don't want you to go in comparing that to Shakespeare. Uh, uh, that, that's for future generations to agonise over. So, lying. Uh, um, I, I, my first job was fine fear. Uh, anybody do you used to have a fine fear in Ledbury? Yeah, fine fear. It, it, was, it was sort of a, like, a, 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 like a little without the glamour. Uh, so I, I worked there and I used to stack shelves, but I always used to think that people coming in were looking down on me because I was stacking shelves. 
And then, uh, because we didn't have any money, my, my mum died when I was 11 and there's five uh, kids, uh, um, we, uh, we used to shop at Fine Fair. And then when I walked into Fine Fair, I used to look at the people stacking shelves thinking, they're looking down on me. So perspective. I, I couldn't win uh, I, I, either, either way. Uh, and um, we did, I didn't earn much money, so what I used to do, uh, and this is creativity for you, I used to, I, I'm sure someone else in there has done this, I, I used to change the 72p stickers on the albums. Uh, and put them onto the £3.50 Led Zeppelin albums and Deep Purple. Uh, and if there's anybody out there that's actually bought um, Ackerbilt for £3.50 <laughs> or Herb Albert and his Tier 1 of Brass, I'm, I'm very sorry. Um, so the worst thing uh, uh, about uh, those days was uh, we had to have um, plain biscuits. Anybody here? I'm a bit of a confessional here. Anybody here had plain biscuits when they were a kid? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, broken biscuits, I, I think, were fine because broken biscuits, you'd sometimes get some chocolate ones. Wouldn't you? You know, you get half a chocolate one and then you, you're sorted. But plain biscuits, and my dad, my dad, you see, he'd say to us, uh, this again was creativity, but it's, it's lying. He'd say, he'd say uh, well, posh people eat plain biscuits, you know, shortbread, that's posh, posh people. I'm seven years old. I don't want to be posh. I want chocolate biscuits. So I thought I, I needed to tell the world about this. So this is a, a, a poem called Plain Biscuits, and it's got some of the best rhymes you're ever likely to hear. Ever. So do enjoy. Here we go. <clears throat> Why do rich people insist it? You see, <laughs> with some of these rhymes, you don't need me at all. Why do rich people insist it's plain to eat biscuits? Ba- <laughs> I'll start again. Why do rich people insist it's posh to eat plain biscuits? It seems to me rich tea are for the miserly, and these are not nice at any price. Shortbread, I particularly dread. I'd sooner have an happy face instead. Tradition is fine for old codgers, but the young at all want jammy dodgers. <laughs> A plain digestive is strictly for the restive and not suggestive of anything festive. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Worth coming for that line alone, surely. Similarly, Garibaldi's are for the oldies, as only old fogies can be force-fed a sandwich of bogies. <laughs> Morning coffee are easy to debunk, being impossible to dunk. And our root bicky can also be tricky. Abbey crunch and bourbon creams are not the bunch of my dreams. I'd sooner walk on hot coals barefoot than eat fig rolls or a ginger nut. I'd sooner be aborted than touch tea time assorted. <laughs> Yet I can eat chocolate knobnobs, no probs. Thank you. Uh, so uh, I thought I'd, I'd delve into art and see what that was about. So I bought that Ways of Seam by uh, John Berger, you know, the famous book for the 1970s. And uh, I, the type was too small. I couldn't, I couldn't read it. It's absolutely true. Has anybody read that book? It, it, it's just too small. Uh, ways of seeing. You need a magnifying glass. It's rubbish. <laughs> That's just for me, that one. So, um, I do like art, though, uh, uh, but I think it's easy to debunk, so I thought I'd have a go. Uh, I, I did. I, what, what I've learned is, is that it uh, doesn't matter what the poetry is like. If you write poetry, you're a poet. And if you paint, you're a painter. Uh, and uh, if you want to be a contemporary artist, you just take the piss. 
that's basically what happens. Uh, and then you hang it around the room uh, in, uh, in jars. So, uh, this is a tribute to Andy Warhol. Uh, thank you for uh, all those who caught up. Uh, um, some of these are stealth jokes. They, they, they are there. You've just got to really look for them. So, this is a tribute to Andy Warhol's wig. Andy Warhol was no mug. Of this it can be said. He pulled the rug from under the arts and wore it on his head. <laughs> and uh, this is a poem for uh, uh, Titian. Uh, um, Titian. If Titian was painting today... Think of the money he'd make by painting his nudes reclining, eating a cabbage flake. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'm, a big, uh, I'm a big fan of uh, art. I like uh, L.S. Lowry. Uh, big fans of L.S. Lowry? I've, I've got an L.S. Lowry in my, in my house. I've got one of his uh, portraits. Uh, it's a northern uh, portrait. Um, that uh, so good. You, you, the, 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 the pies follow you around the room. That's my favourite joke. <laughs> I just made it up and I thought it was lovely. I thought I'd share it with you. Uh, um, so, because uh, I, I worked in television, I, I don't know whether you know, I, so I, I, I wrote The um, Royal Family with Carolina Hearn. I don't know whether you, you, you know that. And uh, uh, it was lovely doing that. And I wrote The Mrs. Merch. I remember the first joke I wrote for Carolina and she was a, a nun. Do you, do you remember she used to do a nun character called uh, uh, Sister Mary Immaculate? And I'm not religious at all. I, I'm C of E. Uh, uh, she's not a religion, is it? It's a dating agency for Henry VIII. So um, I, wrote, I wrote this line, and she come on as the nun, and this was the first joke I wrote for her. So she come on and she'd say, uh, how many Protestants does it take to change a light bulb? None. They all live in eternal darkness. <laughs> 70 quid I got for that. <laughs> you can understand why I give up poetry, can't you, for, for 20 years? Uh, and I wrote the Mrs. Merton show uh, with her, and, and she was brilliant uh, writing. And um, people often say, uh, when they know I wrote the Mrs. Merton show, who wrote the line, um, what first attracted you to the millionaire Paul Daniels? And I think Caroline wrote that line, because she wrote all the, all the best lines. And, uh, um, uh, and I think um, there was a, a line... Uh, we, we had on the show, we had um, uh, Terry Major Ball. Do you remember Terry Major Ball? Uh, remember John Major? He's, he had a brother called Terry Major Ball, and we had him on the show. And uh, you won't know this, but we always try to be nice to people. I know he didn't look like that, but we always try to be nice to people. And, and uh, we wanted to, to say something to Terry Major Ball to make him feel comfortable on the show. Uh, and, uh, and so we wanted to talk about him rather than his brother Terry. So, uh, so me, uh, Craig Cash, and uh, Dave Gorman, who used to write it, he's a very funny man, uh, and Caroline, we all day we tried to think of this one joke just, just so that it, it, it'd settle him in. And we couldn't think of anything, and we're being paid right, for this day. And uh, So at the end of the day, Caroline says, it'll just come on, uh, and I'll say, um, uh, uh, hello, Terry Major Ball, what do you do? And he'll say something, and then we'll cut it out in the edit, because that's what you do with television. It's all lies. Cut it out in the edit, nobody will know, but at least he'll feel welcome and he'll feel settled. So I thought that was a good plan. So uh, anyway, come the night, she's dressed as Mrs. Merton uh, and Terry Major Ball comes on. She says, now, Terry, da, da, sit down, sit down. Now, uh, never mind, uh, never mind your brother Terry, never mind. What do you do? What do you do? And he said, well, I don't do much really. She says, you're not twins, are you? <laughs> That's how quick she was. Four of us 
for a day, couldn't think of that joke. <laughs> so um, I saw a lot of great stuff uh, uh, on television, and uh, I made 450 television programs, made the film Philomena, and, and uh, but I saw all the stuff that didn't get on. And uh, I'm sure this uh, writers and poets here, here tonight, so I want to uh, read this for them. It's called A Prayer for the Rejected. We start from nothing and build. And you may judge down from... We start from nothing and build. And you may judge down from perfection, catalogue all that we are not, measure against legends and eons, ignore mitigation, dismiss originality as untested, discard and crafted as unprofessional, destroy with a whim, discount our unborn, belittle our dreams, and despite all this, again, we start from nothing and build. Thank you. So about 30 years ago, I used to do uh, this, uh, I used to do poems, and I used to do lots of gigs, not nice gigs like this, I used to do right dives. I remember one place I went and it said, uh, it said uh, uh, nine till ten, Henry Normal, Eight till nine, happy hour. <laughs> you know you're in a rough place, don't you? When you and I used to do gigs with uh, people, uh, people like Linda Smith. I used to do lots of gigs with Linda Smith. She was brilliant, Linda Smith. And uh, I remember doing a rugby club with her uh, once. Uh, um, well, I, I say rugby club. It was a, a, um, a student gig, and the rugby club was in there. And I was thinking I was going to keep my head down. And she, uh, she just went straight up to the mic, and she said, uh, I see the rugby club's in. Uh, men with no fear of head injuries and no need to fear them. <laughs> she was a very brave woman. I love her for that. I remember on one gig that we went to, it was this dive. I, I went to, to the toilet at half time. She was on first. And I said, uh, said to this bloke, I said, What was that, uh, was that comedian like? He says, uh, She was all right if you like laughing. <laughs> so. I did, um, I did a gig once, and I was on with five mime artists. And I thought I'd gone deaf. <laughs> and when I got back home, I, I, I found I'd been burgled. So what I did was I put these two things together, and I wrote this poem, because I think that's sometimes how creativity works. It's about an alignment. You're in a certain place at a certain time, and things are aligned, and therefore the new thing happens that, that's, that you've never thought of before. This is called Mime Doesn't Pay. I love a pun. You've got to love a pun, haven't you? You get, you get the full gamut tonight. You get everything from sophistication to other words I can't spell. Mime doesn't pay. Last night, I was burgled by a mime artist. He never made a sound. He could have got away with it, but then he tried to steal a piano I haven't got. He pushed and he pulled. He strained and he heaved, but it wouldn't budge. Maybe he thought there was something valuable behind it. There wasn't. He tried to float the piano. He blew up a balloon, tied it to the piano. Then he couldn't lift the balloon. I found him in the morning trapped inside an imaginary box. <laughs> I called the police. He started to panic. He tried climbing up a fictitious ladder. When the police arrived, they let him out. He made a dash for it, tried running away on the spot. It took the police four hours to get him into the car. He kept getting pulled back by an invisible rope. I decided not to press charges. This afternoon, I put an insurance claim in for the piano. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So,
So uh, it's funny how your uh, brain sees things. Uh, so my, my son knows that I mentioned is autistic. He's 20 now, and uh, um, he doesn't say much at all. He, he speaks in just one-word uh, uh, sentences. Uh, um, and... Um, uh, and we, we've, we've worked with him uh, over the years to, to get to that stage because for, for many years he, he wouldn't say anything and, uh, and he was in a world of his own. Uh, and um, it can be quite difficult, but um, what it's done is it's made me conscious of things that he says and, and, and it's made me conscious of, of uh, communication in general. And, uh, and he's sort of re, he's repositioned my thought process in so many ways. Uh, um, so uh, I, I have a lot to thank him for. Uh, um, he's, he's, um, he's not afraid of people at, at all, is one of the things that, that I find. He treats people, because he's not trying to sell you anything. And, and uh, if you don't like him, he's not that bothered, to be honest with you. Uh, um, but, but he'll treat you as you treat him. And, and it's a lovely way of going. And he's actually made me not afraid of people. I know you're all lovely people here tonight, but I, you know, I, I'm, I, I, before years ago when I used to gig, I was afraid all the time. But he's so, he's so trusting and open that it, it inspires you. I'll give you this is a true story. I, um, so my wife gets on a bus with him now. He's six foot three. Right, so he's a big lad. Uh, I can't pick him up anymore. Uh, uh, so in that th thing, when you're a dad and you can't pick your kid up anymore, there's it's a, a weird moment. But uh, um, anyway, so he can pick me up. Uh, um, so, so he's six foot. He wears these uh, headphones because he's um, uh, he's sensitive to, to noise. So he wears these headphones. So you, you'll spot him a mile off. And my wife, who's a lot shorter, when you see him coming down the road, you know it's them. You know, it's sort of like. Um, uh, Lauren and Hardy sort of thing going on, uh, and uh, anyway, she says, uh, said to him, she's getting on a bus in Brighton, so I live in Brighton, and she said, you go up the stairs, and I'll pay for the bus. So Johnny goes up the stairs, and Angela uh, pays for the bus driver, and she goes up to the top of the bus, and there's just one person sat on the top of the bus, with Johnny sat next to them. <laughs> I love that. Shows he got no fear whatsoever. Certainly not as much fear as the bloke had that he sat next to him. And, and I, 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 I love that. And um, so we, we, we cherish these moments. And, and um, uh, he said, yeah. so he got in the car the other day. Uh, and I'm, so I'm, I'm in the car and, uh, and um, uh, Michael Gove was on. And I was about to turn it off, as you do. And... Um, and and Johnny said, uh, and bear in mind, he don't really say much. Sometimes he says things from, uh, from films and stuff. He says, he thinks he's fantastic, but he's made of plastic. And I thought, that's too astute. To, uh, <laughs> but uh, the, 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 some of the parents will know that's from uh, uh, Spooky Spoon, from um, uh, the Numberjacks. Anybody know that at all? Uh, this is the blessing of having an autistic kid. I know all the children's TV programmes uh, off by art. Uh, this is a poem about my lad. Uh, um, he surprises us all the time, uh, and this is about one of those moments. Sometimes uh, you get surprised by people, uh, even when they've not really done anything, and sometimes that alignment is within yourself. It's called quintessence. Yesterday was quite ordinary. We went through the usual wake-up routine, Cornflakes, toast, peanut butter, time on the computer, the iPad, washed and dressed, word search. 
The morning came and went without much conscious thought. Johnny set the table, filled three glasses with water. In the afternoon, we went for a walk in the woods, making something out of nothing. Angela used slow-mo and time-lapse, and we created little films for ourselves. Driving home, we listened to music. Johnny set the table for dinner, filled three glasses with water, and we all sat down. I looked over to him, a 20-year-old, with what might pass for designer stubble, six foot three, muscular, a new ear cut, and suntan. And for no reason, I noticed he was handsome. Hollywood handsome. We were eating dinner quietly, like an ordinary family. Can't even remember what food. And there it was, a glimpse, unexpected. This was the man Johnny could have been. Isn't he handsome? I said to Angela, wanting to include her in the moment. It was all I could do to stop myself weeping like a fool. After, when I stacked the dishwasher alone, I broke like death. Unexpected, I hadn't glimpsed the man Johnny could have been. The morning was for a different loss. One known, but not understood till now. For there in this moment, was the beauty of the man he was. I get quite emotional sometimes on these. I sometimes bring a toilet roll uh, on stage with me. I've not added many shit themselves yet. <laughs> well, just, just once, but, but I, I was very nervous. So, uh, um, so my son, uh, so he doesn't, he doesn't speak uh, that much, but, but he's found that he enjoys painting. And, and there is a book uh, at the back of his, of his paintings. There's 100 paintings of this. And I, this, I'm so proud of him for this. He paints and he enjoys painting. And we've got some, if you go on Art by Johnny, which is his website, his uh, Facebook, you'll see him painting. And he, and he, He's dancing whilst he's painting, he's enjoying it, and he expresses himself. And this was sort of why I, I was wanting to talk about creativity and think about creativity. And I love that. And um, so, so uh, we, we've written this book about him, and he had this in, in Brighton where we live. No, nobody here from Brighton, is he? Yeah, you are. It's a four-hour drive. Thank you for coming. <laughs> you, 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 on a bike as well. That's a, you're fast then for four hours. Uh, um, uh, so so we, live, we live in Brighton. Have you been up that I-360 yet? Yeah. There's this big thing called I-360 in, in Brighton. And if, if you ever get to Brighton, go up it, and on a clear day, y you can see a parking space. <laughs> so, uh, um, so, so he's, he had this exhibition of uh, 50 of his paintings, and the big paintings, uh, in the Phoenix Gallery, which is the biggest gallery in, uh, in, in, uh, in Brighton. So I was really proud. And so we got into the Saturday Times. So the Saturday Times wanted to do a picture of my son. And I, 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 was, I, was, I was so... This was, like, you know, the best... I, I've met Gorbachev and uh, Judy Dench and all these people. But, 
but 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 they wanted to take it. The Saturday Times wanted to take a picture of my son. This was fantastic. So they sent uh, one of their photographers round to to our house, uh, and I, so I live in Roding because I, I I've made money on knob gags, and and. Uh, and I built this big house, and and I, so, I, so I am in, in Rodeo. It's got this big posh house. So uh, and I, I'm I'm there in it with with Johnny, and this photographer comes in, and he says, "Oh, there's all these paintings. They're great. They're great. These paintings. Let's have these paintings as a backdrop. Can we just move your settee?" Now this is how it starts, you see, because I thought this was going to be a picture of us being real, but we move the settee. So the settee is there, with the fireplace behind, and the telly's over there. Like I'm some idiot that sits <laughs> with me back to the fireplace, watching the telly over my shoulder, like a taxi driver or something. Do you know what I mean? And I'm thinking this is not going to this is not going to look good uh, uh, on on the photo. They're going to think I'm an idiot anyway. So I, I, I goes along with it for for the sake of uh, easy life. So he said, uh, oh, that's good. Now, uh, it's a Saturday Times, uh, smart casual. I'm at home. I don't know about you. At home, I'm casual casual. <laughs> so there's no smart about me when I'm at home. So I think, right, I've got a smart knob in my own house now, have I? Right, okay. So I put on like this. This is what I call smart casual. And I know it's not. And there you go. That's, 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 that's as good as I get. So, uh, so I put on something like this, a shirt and some trousers and everything. And, um, and he said, now... There's three of you. One of you is going to get the staple. I said, what are you talking about? He says, it's a double-page spread. Three people, one in the middle, staple right through your head. I said, well, what are you going to do about that? He says, well, we, we do two on one side, staple, and one on the other. Now, I can't put Johnny on the other side, can I? Because we'd have the social services around, wouldn't we? So, and, and if we have Ange over there, they're going to think, oh, refrigerator mother. So, so I'm, I'm thinking, I've got to sit the other side of the staple, right? So they've got Ange and Johnny on the settee, right? Nice and cosy. That's what we normally see. So when he was two or, two or three, Johnny wouldn't be in the same room as you. Now, when we sit with him, age 20, he'll put his arm around you on the, on the sofa. And I love that. And that's how we sit of a night. We sit there, Johnny in the middle, and he'll put his arm around us and we watch, we watch the telly. No. Ange and Johnny there... Billy no mates, <laughs> this side of the staple, right? Now, we don't have a chair that side of the staple. Not in, not in front of the... the we don't, so, so I'm going to have to get another chair. So I, guess I have to get my mother-in-law's chair. Now, my mother-in-law, she had a, a stroke and an heart attack on the same day. I know, greedy. And I said to her, I said, you're not thinking this through, mother-in-law, as I call her. I said, you're supposed to be looking after Johnny this weekend. Uh, anyway, she, she, she recovered, so she was all right. But we bought her this chair. We bought her this chair. So this chair is, is, is like, it's, it's like all bright, and it's, it's, it's got a nice pattern on it, because she likes nice patterns, you know, it's pink and purple and stuff. Uh, and, and so I'm sat on that. All bright chair, pink and purple, arms, like, you know, like I need it. I'm only 60. Anyway, so, uh, so, so I'm sat there. And, and, and they sat there, and he said, all right, we're, we're ready now. And then he said, uh, can you move your head like that? I said, all right, I'll, I'll move my head like that. And he said, can you, can you move your arm like that? I said, all right, I'll, I'll move my arm like that. And then he said, act natural. 
oh, I could have swung for him. And of course, what happened was, as soon as he presses it, Johnny's hands go straight up to his ears. Because right? uh, he, he don't like the noise. Not got his head, he's in the house. He ain't got his head in straight up to his ears. So you get about five pictures like that, because he's, he's fast with his hands. Uh, five pictures like that. And then the photographer's saying, uh, look to me, look to me, and Johnny's saying, look to me, look to me. Not looking at him. <laughs> saying, look to me, look to me. So eventually we get this picture of me looking disgruntled over at the uh, me wife and son, thinking, what the fuck have I done here? Uh, and uh, and they look great, they look great. Uh, it's just just me. Uh, um, so if you if you look uh, online at the uh, Saturday Times thing, that you'll you'll see me looking like a fool. Uh, um, that's the problem, you see, when you let other people get involved. This is the beauty of poetry. It's just you, and and that's great. So I, I was thinking about uh, uh, re redoing poems, old poems and, uh, and uh, uh, bringing them up to date. Because I don't know whether you know, if you go to young people's poetry evenings, uh, they, they all use phones now, uh, and they read poems off phones. Uh, uh, it's the, the latest thing. So I, I wrote uh, uh, the Joyce Kilmer poem. Uh, uh, you know, I, uh, um, I think that I shall never see a, a poem lovely as a tree. I thought I'd rewrite that for phone after Joyce Kilmer. I think that I shall never see an emoji lovely as a tree. Sad face, WTF. <laughs> Pretty good, isn't it? Uh, um, not really a rousing one, but never mind. Um, um, I remember my, my dad came to see me once, and he said, uh, he said Henry, do you talk fast so that, you know, if, if, if people don't laugh, it's not too long till the next one? That's exactly why. I, 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 I remember I did Edinburgh once. I had one bad review. It, it was in all the papers. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, uh, coming. Uh, so we, we've had a review of the first half in, uh, um, which I'm going to read you uh, from the local. What's a local paper? Yeah, that's right. Uh, um, I'm lying, but that's being creative. So I only wrote this yesterday, so we'll see how it goes. I've got my pen ready. For, for, for marking it up, right? Are you, are you with me? Review, review of the first half. There was a nervousness and apprehension at the start, but the audience soon settled and became worthy of this great poet. <laughs> Henry's character... I can't even say it. Henry's charismatic presence and assured presentation... That fooled that one, didn't I? His charismatic presence and assured presentation, coupled with his modesty and lack of self-awareness, <laughs> helped those unfamiliar with his sophistication of his poetry to relax, and in some cases, orgasm. <laughs> Not a bad review so far, is it? It's always better when you write it yourself. Towards the latter stages, a few deluded fools were still convinced, still weren't convinced with the power of his parody and hung on to their outmoded models of form and rhyme, scorning his puerile use of metaphor and simile like big babies having a big super tantrum. But even these diehard traditionalists, by the end, humbled and apologetic, had to admit, often through uncontrollable tears, that their old concept of what they thought was possible in poetry had been changed. <laughs> and they were, pitiful as they were, had been forced to reassess not only their misguided views on creativity,
but their entire existence. As you would expect, there were calls for Henry to be named Laureate, King, Pope, Messiah, given an OBE, a knighthood, the freedom of Ledbury, and a new medal to be struck by Brussels called Le Henri. The Daily Mirror, Daily Mirror, the Daily Mirror devoted uh, the old front page to the performance under the headline, Poetry is Coming Home. <laughs> the Telegraph brought out a supplement on how such great poetry would affect arse prices. <laughs> the Daily Mail warned that such talent could lead to a greater immigration as people soon flooded into Britain to see this poet. <laughs> Firm Britain announced that her book club for Tesco's is due by popular demand enforced to be devoted solely to Henry Normal's back catalogue. Poetry, please, is to become Henry, please. <laughs> the G7 leaders of you unanimously decided that henceforth they will be known as HN7 <laughs> and issued a joint poem to mark the event in which it was decreed that in recognition the earth is to be renamed Henry Normal, Doctor of Letters. Oh, yes. Unable to hold back, aliens finally decided to make themselves visible to give the people's poet a standing ovation throughout the universe that he deserves. Despite, it must be said, some creatures not having what you might consider legs. <laughs> the sun and the moon winked at each other knowingly. The Milky Way did a high five with Andromeda. And all the gods that had ever been invented bowed their heads in recognition. Even the Big Bang had to concede it had been outdone. Five trillion stars, a smiley face, and a thumbs up. Thank you. That's me, uh, my review. <laughs> Lovely. So, uh, uh, I mentioned uh, that I say I wrote The Raw Family, and, and um, people won't know this, but we wrote the first episode in one day because it fell out of us. And, and the, the reason was that it was just us talking about our families. So it was me, Caroline, and Craig. And Caroline said, what, is, uh, uh, what does your dad say? And the first line of the first episode of The Royal Family is, uh, who's been phoning Aberdeen? Because <laughs> right. all our dads uh, were a bit tight with money, right? <laughs> And my, my dad would say things like, he'd say, uh, uh, are, are you in this room or are you in that room? Uh, and and I, I'd say, I'd say I, 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 I'm in this room. And he'd say, well, what's the light doing on in that room? <laughs> and uh, and we, wrote, we wrote all this stuff down, you see, uh, and, um, and, and, uh, and people said, well, that's my family. That's just my family. And I love, I love that now. If we hadn't been brought upon council estates, we wouldn't have been able to write that. Now, I've, I've met lots of very brilliant writers, uh, um, and, uh, you know, they, they write very brilliant stuff. But only you can tell your story, honestly. And, and uh, we were lucky that nobody had told that story at, at that time. Um, a lot of that first episode was just uh, things that we'd uh, taken. Uh, there was a, a, there's a, there's a, a line uh, that um, is uh, is my my dad's second wife, Maureen, right? Uh, uh, so uh, she's about in her seventies, and she's she's very slim, right? and, and so she'd say, "Oh, I've still got my schoolgirl figure," and I thought that's such a great line. I'll give that Sue Johnson. So I give it to Sue Johnson. And I'm sat watching the telly, 
watching Royal Family with my dad and Maureen. <laughs> and I'm sat there watching it, and, and Sue Johnson comes in from the kitchen, and she says, oh, I've still got my schoolgirl figure. And Maureen turns to my dad, and she says, so have I, Enter Frank. <laughs> No idea. No idea. So, um, I was... Uh, when I found out about uh, um, uh, Caroline uh, died of cancer, I don't know whether you know, she had cancer for, for many years. Uh, um, when, when she was a kid, she got uh, a problem with her eye. And, but people used to uh, complain that she was drunk at uh, events, and uh, she, she had an intolerance to, to stuff because of, uh, of this, and her, her brother had it as well. Um, and when I found out, it was my 60th birthday that week, uh, and uh, my wife had uh, got me a trip to Italy, and we, we went to the lakes in Italy, Lake Maggiore, is it called? Uh, and, and which is absolutely beautiful, and I, I'd recommend to you. Um, so, but I was out there, and I was thinking about Caroline. Um, and I think about my, my dad died of cancer, and my, my brother died of cancer. My, my brother was 61, which is what I am now, when, when, he, when he died of cancer. And... Um, and always, they, they were so, I don't think you should make heroes of people, but they were so better than I would be because I'm going to be like a blubbering baby uh, uh, when I have to meet anything that uh, difficult. Uh, and, and, there they were, and I remember my brother Dave. So I've got three sisters, uh, um, and uh, the youngest of which, Angela, uh, uh, would, was with me and, and the other two and, and, uh, and Dave's wife. And we were around the bed, and it was, it was uh, sort of um, the last sort of three days he was, he was in pain, and he was being given this, uh, these, killer, these sort of um, painkillers and stuff. And, um, and my sister... He closed his eyes, and my sister said to him, my younger sister, she said, um, what are you thinking about, Dave? And I always remember this, because he was the older brother, and I know that he was trying to make it easy for us. And he, he said to, uh, he said to uh, my sister, Angela, he said, um, I'm hatching a plan. And I love that. That even then, at that point, like he was going to escape... I love that. This is a poem I wrote uh, called Night Fishing. It's about my perception having changed. And rather than looking at the beauty, I was looking at the beauty in a different way. Night Fishing. You can choose to give these mountains any name you want. At this moment, they're yours. To the north, no sign of human habitation. Untamed ridges, muted blue and grey backlit with a PJs. To the east, a line of streetlights mark out civilization like a landing strip. To the south, across the plasma screen of the lake surface, beacons appear on the slopes and reflect like the tracks of tears. To the west, the lap of the wake, a moored yacht sways so gently as if to lull a baby to sleep. At the heart, in a small rowboat, a man and his son sit and fish in water from the ice age silent as a distant star we are greater than gods tonight we are life so uh, the reason I started writing again uh, poetry uh, 
after all these uh, years. Cause I, I had 20 years when I didn't, uh, when I, I made uh, television programs. Um, I wanted to tell about my, my lad. And, and I didn't know how to start, and I didn't know, and, and I got loads of photos of him, because uh, um, we take photos of kids in a way that we never had photos when we were kids, do we? You know, because everybody's got iPhones and stuff now. I've got thousands of photos of, uh, of, of, of Johnny, uh, and I, I put them all into different boxes with, uh, you know, photos of him with his granddad and uh, grandma and uh, with us, and uh, this is my autism coming out here, as you can see. Uh, and, and I looked at, and, and I, I looked at the pictures, and I saw thinking, why is that image making me angry, making me sad, making me happy? It's just an image. It's just an image on a, on a page. Uh, and sort of what poems are, what words are, just an image on a page. And so the first poem I wrote after, uh, after about 30 years was based on... Uh, The first, uh, um, the first photo in this in this book, uh, and this is the first poem I wrote. It was called "Photos with My Son." Johnny is not interested in having his photo taken. When prompted, he will look at the lens. His hand is likely to move at any moment. I suspect he's not sure what he's expected of him. Smile, he says. He doesn't smile. He just smiles echoing the words from behind the camera. I'm glad I wrote that poem because it's led to me doing radio shows and, and telling people and led to us uh, um, uh, writing this book and, and that. Um, it's, it's an amazing thing how one bit of creativity leads to another. I noticed with these uh, photos that... Um, I, 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 um, I, if, you, if you put photos together, you see the, you see the patterns on them. This is about that. It's called electric, like a tree praising the sky. I do a strange thing with my head sometimes. I lift it up, raise my chin, look at the world in the eye, defiant for no reason. This is who I am. This is what I am. Deal with it. It's very unlike me. I notice I, I have this one look on photos. I don't know whether you do this. It's like a look where uh, every photo I've got is, is uh, have you taken it yet? <laughs> so, um, I'll do uh, some nice little poem. I was thinking about the great works of art and, and how I could get involved with the great works of art and what, what I thought of them. And uh, so I was, I was in Italy, as I, as I mentioned, and uh, we went over to uh, to Rome uh, and uh, and saw uh, the statue of um, Michelangelo's David. Uh, um, obviously not based on my brother David. This was, uh, you know, David from the Bible. I don't think even Michelangelo was that far seen, although he was pretty, he was pretty good, wasn't he? Um, but I don't know whether you know, the, uh, genius as he was, there's actually a fault on, on David. It's not perfect. So this is about that. It's called The Genius of Michelangelo. When sculpting the perfect man, the real insight of the job was making David's head too big in proportion to the size of his knob. <laughs> Thank you, God bless Watts. Great poetry inspiring great uh, uh, art, or, or the other way around. One of, one of the two. So... Um,
I, I now I know that uh, that we're in the uh, where where uh, the poet John Macefield uh, um, lived near here. Is that right? He was born born here, and he wrote a poem called uh, Cargoes. Uh, uh, which uh, mentions the dirty British coaster with salted cake and smokestack, uh, right? And uh, I thought that that's uh, what can I do uh, for for, for Ledbury that that would live up to that sort of thing? So I've written one about a coaster, uh, but the sort of coaster you get in your living room, <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, you enjoyed those rhymes so much earlier that I've got some others for you. Are you ready? Brace yourself, here we go. Coaster, mighty bastion of civilization. Sponge saucer, unsung since Chaucer. Oh, yes. Well, that's a good start, here we go. Mop twixt tea and top, cup cop to sup up slop. Not a furnishing garnish, a guardian against the varnish, ensuring tables free from tea stain tarnish. Diverter of drips, leak-lagging lips, oh, incredible, semi-porous pedestal. Overflow screen, go-between, close friend of Mr Sheen. <laughs> A clever gauge to block beverage of whatever age. Oh, come on, I, I had a cup of tea after I did that one. That, the, the internal rhymes on that, it's gorgeous. Wedge against the wet, ingester of the juicy jet. The fine line against fluid anarchy, comfort cushion of the panicky. Epitome of order, the great absorber, part towel, part decorative plate, absorber the great. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, yes. Now, it might not be brilliant, but it's local. That's, that's the way I look at it. So, uh, um, I thought... Uh, I thought uh, I th I, has anybody got any requests, or shall I carry on? Because <laughs> so, has anybody seen me before? You'd like me to do a particular poem? No, well, I can do anything. Then, can't I? Let's. Uh, I'll tell you what we do. Let's shout out a number. Thirteen. <laughs> I could do anyone. You don't know what page they're on, do you? <laughs> Let's have a look. Thirteen. I'm, uh, I don't even start till fifteen. Bloody hell. Right, I'm going to do this one. Here we go. Ah, oh, yes. They're all good. Here we go. <laughs> they, they are. Even the ones I've not read are good. Uh, um, who wasn't out to sea didn't pray to God. That's a Russian saying. I love Russian sayings. Uh, uh, my favourite is um, uh, your elbow's close, but you can't bite it. <laughs> I don't know what it means, but it's good, isn't it? It's good. Here we go. Who wasn't out to sea didn't pray to God. There is enough water here to drown every soul on earth. We sit and watch white lines break upon black slate. Trees and shrubs I can't name. Chlorate slopes whose classifications I can't pronounce. The old fascia falls bent and crumpled like a broken roller coaster rail. These veterans are war planner of existence. Humanity uddles at the inlets. Though we don't say as much, we share a cathedral sky with the distant clouds, the abandoned buildings, the quiet fishermen the Easter sun, and the loneliness at the end of the ocean. Oh, yeah. Uh, so th uh, this is my latest book. I I'm hoping that I'm getting better. Here's my plan. Uh, somebody want to shout out another number? 85. Yeah, you're hoping it's a big book, aren't you? Let's have a look. 
It is. It goes up to 100 and, uh, uh, 112. Here we go. Uh, this is called Witness. Uh, uh, so uh, it's our born uh, in Nottingham, uh, and and there were no um, when I, when I went, they knocked it down. Right, it was a slum dwelling. Uh, uh, when, when I was there, it was, uh, uh, um, and uh, they knocked it down and and they, they they rebuilt it and everything. And I went there, and I remember all the great aunties and uncles that you used to have because in those days I, I don't know whether I was, I was, I was born in back-to-back housing uh, um, and uh, it's, it's really weird actually so I was born in this back-to-back housing and they used to have the toilet at the end of the yard it wasn't even a garden it was a yard right and you'd you know if you wanted to go to the toilet in the middle of the winter you'd have to go and, and you'd take the daily mirror with you uh, and and you'd treat uh, um, celebrities with the uh, what they deserve uh, and um and, and then we, we, we got moved to a, a council estate uh, when I was about uh, nine. Uh, and, and I thought this council estate was brilliant because the kitchen was huge and we had a garden front and back. And, and we had a bathroom upstairs because in the other place we didn't have a bathroom. We just had a tin bath. And my sisters used to sit at one side of the bath and I used to sit at the other side of the bath. It was quite crowded because there's three of them. Uh, and, uh, but here we had a bathroom. Right, so you didn't have to get a kettle or anything. It had hot water, and we had this bath. But downstairs, they didn't have a, 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 a toilet. Not inside. It was just outside the back door. Like, like, like the council in the 80s didn't trust us to shit inside downstairs. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? They, they thought they'd lure us back into the house gently. Oh, you won't you make an house like this anymore. And it, you go around there now, they, they've all bricked them in and, and made doors outside, so, so they're in the house. Right, but for some reason, they did this. Now, I, I say, I, I live in Brighton. I, I've, I've got a nice big house, and I've got uh, en suite. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It's French, you know. It means uh, 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 bathrooms next to the bedroom. So, uh, I, I, uh, I thought that my progress in life is all about toilets. So I've written this little ditty for you. Uh, um, it's called Private's Progress. Uh, here we go. En suite, from outside loo, from the luxury of your own silk sheets, you can hear your partner poo. Be- beautiful rhyme in that. Anyway, so I went back. I went back to Seymour Street, and, and there was nothing there. And I remember all these great memories. And, nothing, and then... I noticed there was something there. There was a tree. And the great thing about Nottingham, they've got some beautiful trees. I know you've got some beautiful trees around here, and I love trees. I, love, I really love trees. It's the thing I miss most in Brighton. And I love trees so much. I went into a, a DFS warehouse once, and I cried because the furniture was so shit. And if you're going to chop down a tree, make something beautiful. And, and there was this tree. So I wrote this poem. It's called Witness. This is a tree that knows me. I played under its branches as a child. Its weathered trunk may well be heavier, but these longer limbs can still embrace. Its shadow has stretched in the late afternoon, though all around has been relabeled progress. It has set itself in this fickle landscape and reached an accommodation with the sky. Of course, the sun is the same sun, but it has no sense of loyalty. There is a commitment with a tree. This is an old friend that knew well those we've lost. When I'm gone, it will still know. And it will remember that I spoke of you.
So, somebody shout out a number on this one? 47. Let's have a little look, see what that is. 47. That's too long, that one. Be right. 37. All right. There we go. Then. Questions I don't ask on the census. I've never read this out loud, so uh, this is a uh, uh, trial. <sighs> this is, uh, questions I don't ask on the census. Hands up. Anyone who's felt lonely. Anyone who's hidden themselves away on New Year's Eve rather than face that hiatus of emptiness in public. Anyone who's dressed up on a Saturday night and forced themselves out into the melee only to return home, having not spoken to a single soul. Anyone who, searched anyone who has searched faces on the pavement for fragments of recognition. Anyone who's, anyone who's stood at the edge of a window in hope. Anyone who's touched a photo in re remembrance. Anyone who's put a pillow behind them in the dark against the cold. Anyone who finds a mirror, the hardest place to look, and lowers their eyes when they meet someone. Anyone who wakes without knowing what for. Anyone afraid of being found wanting? This is um, this is uh, one of my favourite first poems. I wrote this probably when I was uh, about eighteen, and and I, I wanted love to be for everyone, uh, and I want that much of a good looker. I know, I know. Uh, Maturities helped, but uh, um, uh, I, so this is uh, based on uh, the joy of sex. Uh, uh, it's uh, called the joy of frogs, like a pop-up book. Uh, um, frogs need kisses like everyone else. Not all of them want to become handsome princes. Some prefer a more pond-based lifestyle. What if you turn into an handsome prince, and the princess really prefers frogs? What if you're not that handsome a prince? Maybe you're more handsome a frog. Let's face it, chances are, if you can get kissed fairly regularly by a princess and remain a frog, you've got it made. <laughs> if she gives you tongs, then go for it. <laughs> uh, any, any other... Oh, thank you. Uh, sorry, thank you. Any other number? Give me a number. Got a couple of minutes. 42. 42. All right, 42. This is, so this is about my, uh, about my son. Uh, uh, number 42. Yeah. So, um, so he, so he, he does uh, uh, painting. And so, when, when he was younger, we uh, um, we, we we tried to get him uh, uh, to paint. And um, what we did was uh, we tried everything. We, uh, you know, we tried uh, um, uh, horses. We tried um, uh, uh, you know uh, everything that we could think of to get him interested in, in something, so he wouldn't just stare out the window. Uh, and um, and we give him this um, painting by numbers. Uh, and uh, this is about that it's called Beauty Without Numbers presented with colour by numbers he chooses only what colour he wants only what borders appeal the figurative made abstract the shape of the world embellished new edges imagined the palette reinvigorated a choice is braved a universe decided, personality shame in mathematics, lines renounced as never before to create a map of self-determination. 
I love that. We've still got some of his old uh, uh, paintings there, and they're so much better than, than the ones that I did, where I just put the colour that they told me to in the lines that they told me to. How boring is that? It's well boring, isn't it? Uh, um, uh, so I'll do uh, a couple from this, and uh, we can have some Q&As uh, uh, questions. Uh, you know, I'll go ask you a few questions about your personal life, <laughs> and you can ask me some. Uh, anybody want to shout out a number for this one? 33, 33. Uh, I don't like that one. It, it's because uh, it's about Edinburgh, and we're not in Edinburgh. I shall do, um, I'll do this one, this is a, a fun one. Um, Adrian Mitchell, anybody know Adrian Mitchell? I loved Adrian Mitchell, I met Adrian Mitchell once. Uh, uh, so I, I run a, a poetry festival in, in Nottingham, uh, but 30 years ago I, I started the Manchester Poetry Festival. Uh, and I started it because I'd made a shit television programme called um, Packet of Three, and I had £3,000 and it wasn't making me happy. So I started the Manchester Poetry Festival, which is now the International Literature Festival, and I got on all my favourite poets so I could meet them. And I thought, that's going to make me happy. Uh, uh, and uh, and to, the, to this day, it's still going. So I met Adrian Mitchell, uh, and uh, and always remember, of all the poems he ever wrote, BT is Three is his favourite poem. If you know that poem, that's a lovely about him walking down the stairs with his uh, three-year-old daughter and just wanting the stairs to go on forever. I love the fact that a man that wrote so many poems, that was his favourite poem. Um, I, my my all-time favourite moment from uh, having uh, done poetry festivals myself, because th th these are these are chances. You never get this watching the television. These are chances for different things to happen. I put Seamus Heaney on the day after he won the Sh Nobel Prize. I didn't know he was going to win the Nobel Prize when I put him on. Uh, also, I paid him a bit more. But he came from uh, uh, Sweden on the plane, and he got a cheque for a, a million pounds in his pocket. Because when you win the Nobel Prize, you get a million pounds. He got a cheque for a million pounds. And, and he came, and I got him on in, in Manchester at the Whitworth Art Gallery. And I said to him, uh, 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 I said, Do we, you know, we've got 300 people there. I've, I've got about 700 pounds, I think I was paying him. And he said, you haven't got cash, have you? He said, I've got this cheque, but I can't cash it. So we went to, we went to a hole in the wall and we got him the, the money out cash. Uh, and we went to the Whitworth Art Gallery uh, and, and 300 people, when he arrived, stood up and clapped him. And that was one of the best moments of my life. It's gorgeous to do this. So, uh, um, so I'm a big fan of this. Um, anyway, he wrote a poem called uh, uh, Ten Ways to Avoid Lending Your Wheelbarrow. Uh, Adrian Mitchell uh, and uh, uh, sorry. Oh, good. Well, you, you'll be familiar. So, so what I've done uh, uh, as a clever clogs is is I've done the same ten. I've used the same eddings that that that, that he uses in that poem, but this is ten ways to end a relationship. I'm sure we've all been there at some point. I, I, I'm, I'm beyond that now. Uh, me and my wife, we're, we've, we're, we're at the stage now where she said to me the other day, she said, uh, said uh, uh, Johnny's at college. There's nobody in the house. Got the afternoon to herself. Let's have a bit of sex. And I said, that's all very well, Angela. But when do I get some me time? Ah, 
romantic poet I'm not anymore. But in my youth, this is the, the, that, that, that's what she thought you were getting. That's, that's me in my youth. So this is a poem I wrote uh, um, uh, at the time I met uh, Adrian Mitchell. Uh, so this is, uh, uh, so uh, 10 ways to end a relationship using the same uh, eddings. One, patriotic. I've got to dedicate myself to work of national importance. Two, snobbish. Your time allocation has expired. Three, overweening. You are too finely human to be held back by constraints. Worth trying that one, isn't it? It's worth, worth getting a go. Four, pious. I shall pray you find happiness elsewhere. Five, melodramatic. I'll kill myself rather than go through this torture any longer. Six, pathetic. I'm not worthy of love. I can't stand anyone to see me like this. Seven, defensive. I don't have to give reasons. Eight, sinister. I've been sleepwalking with a bread knife lately. <laughs> Nine, lecherous. I want to fuck your best friend. That'll do it. That'll do it every time, that one. And ten, philosophical. Well, were we really going out anyway? <laughs> Thank you. That's that one. Um, I'm going to uh, end uh, with... Um, uh, this poem uh, uh, that's in the, in the back of this one, uh, uh, and, and then I say we can, we can have we can have some uh, questions, or, or you can join get drunk if you want. That's right. So when we found out about Johnny, um, the first words I said to my wife is, "I can't cope." And she said, you can. And I don't argue with my wife, so, so I, I thought I'd give it a go. Uh, um, and we went to a psychiatrist. And I, I've, I, I, for me, the idea of a psychiatrist is sort of a bit American. Uh, and, and uh, you know, it's for sort of uh, people with uh, um, posher problems than I've got. Uh, and, and, but I thought, I'll, I'll go to the psychiatrist. So I went to this psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist said, He'd been in business for 30 years, and everybody that he'd seen in 30 years had the same problem. I thought, how, how can that be? That don't make sense. How, how can that be? And he said, everybody thinks they're not good enough. What a strange animal we are. We go around thinking we're not good enough. A lot of us are afraid of each other. So I, when I sit at home, uh, I have a, a computer uh, that I, I, I type onto, and, uh, and behind it, there's a photograph. It's my favourite photograph. Uh, it's called Pale Blue Dot. Does anybody know this photograph? So this is a photograph of Earth taken from the edge of the solar system. So it's about... Probably, you might have seen this on uh, one of Brian Cox's programs. You, you like Brian Cox? He, he, he's like uh, a, a clever Benny from Crossroads, isn't he? <laughs> I, I, love, I love that because he's so true, isn't it? Uh, 
got this, got this and, and it's, I find it very grounding because it's this one thing, and every body that's ever lived, every human that's ever lived, is on that one pixel. And all their hopes and fears and dreams all contain that one pixel. This is um, called a prayer for the hesitant. Thanks ever so much for, uh, uh, for listening to me tonight and I uh, and, um, hope you've enjoyed some of the poems. There we go. A pale blue dot amid a family portrait. This is your own planet. You are a pale blue dot amid a family portrait. This is your own planet. You are where you were born to be. Breathe. The world is your living room. You are amongst friends. Your ancestors, your family, and over 10,000 saints look down. Nobody means you any harm, not even God or nature. You can choose not to fear. The universe expects nothing. Every single thing is more than nothing. You have already exceeded expectation. If you forget me, my name, this moment, remember only this, you are good enough. Imperfect as we are, you are good enough. Thank you. Uh, um, uh, does anybody got any questions? I'm happy to. Uh, I'll answer truthfully anything you want to ask me. Yeah. Yes, sir. What does copper setting mean? Copper setting? <laughs> this one here. Yeah, <laughs> well, the first cop, that's policeman. <laughs> Ace, that's the next bit. Uh, that means it's good. Uh, and. Tick is a, like a little little flea, uh, and and E is is a drug. So so based on that, uh, it's um, somebody getting done for being out the red in Ledbury. <laughs> that that's that's right. That's what I'm going to reckon. I, I used to break it down. That's the way I I, I do it. Any uh, any uh, any uh, any, uh, any sense now? Um, so. I'm going to ask you a question now. You're not Derek, are you? Now, I, I, see, we've had, we had one bad review on this, right? So, and it was from a chap called Derek. So now, I don't mind him giving us a bad review, to be honest with you, because um, there's, there's 36 good reviews on uh, uh, the internet for, 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 for this, uh, and, and some of them I didn't even write. Uh, and... and and he looked at these 36, and he chose to write a bad review. So they're all five stars, and then he, he put one star. I mean, you know, one star. It says Derek, right? And, and uh, I sort of respect him for that. I, 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 so, I, so I read his review, and it said, um, it said uh, uh, I am not autistic, and I don't know anybody who's autistic. And I thought, well, you've certainly got the right book. 
And he said, uh, and uh, um, he said, but this book is crap. Absolute crap. And I thought, well, you're the expert. And, uh, and then I read on, it said, it said uh, mind you, I, Derek, am a complete and utter fucking moron. <laughs> now, he didn't actually say that, but I thought he started misrepresenting me so I can misrepresent him. That was... Uh, that's the, uh, the the thought process. Um, it, I say um, I'm, I'm very uh, very proud of this. Um, I, I don't know what lots of words are, to be honest with you. I I, I know the ones that I use a lot, uh, uh, which is um, uh, please uh, um, and uh, sorry. I use that one a lot. Uh, um, that's about it, really. They're, they're, they'll get you through most things. Um, my, my, my lad, uh, um, uh, Donald, said some funny things. So he, he, he was, um, we, we're in a, a church, and, uh, and, uh, and my wife wanted to, sometimes she tests him to see whether he knows something. So she said, uh, our, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom. Then she stopped to see whether he knew it, and he said, for a horse. And I love that. I mean, he got it wrong, but he was quoting Shakespeare. So who knows what's, what's, what's in there? That's pretty good. Any, any proper questions? Yes, sir. A change in, for me? Uh, no, 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 no. I, I, do you know, I'm absolutely loving coming and, and talking to people and, and reading uh, poetry. Because it's very different from when I was a young man and, and I was trying to get laid. Because, uh, you know, when you first start out, you know, I toured with bands like Pulp and, and stuff like that, and, uh, and, uh, and we, we, we didn't know what we were doing. We were trying to express something. Uh, um, but I sort of... I like people, and, and it's, it's, it's nice. When, you, when you're making TV and stuff, especially when you get bumped upstairs to be an executive producer. So I used to do things like I'd, I'd have to talk to people about, um, uh, um, uh, sort of the, talk to the bosses. Like, uh, and, and so things like when I did the, you know, the Mighty Boosh? Right, so, so I'd have to talk to the BBC and explain the Mighty Boosh to them. <laughs> can, can you imagine that? So they, they go, we don't, we don't quite understand it. And they said, uh, I remember once they, they said, uh, you, they said uh, you've got here, it says in the script, uh, he says, um, uh, it says, um, uh, what was it, uh, fox bombing. And I said, yes. He says, you can't say that on the BBC. I said, well, no, no, nobody's actually bombing a fox. You don't see anybody bombing any foxes whatsoever. And he says, no, but it's the BBC. I, I said, well, I don't see what the problem is. He says, well, you've got it twice. I said, well, what make difference does that make? He said, well, if you have it once, we can get away with it. <laughs> so he didn't mind that we were saying fox bomber. He just didn't want a serial fox bomber. <laughs> and so I, I'd, 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 get, I'd do that sort of thing. And I remember, uh, we, do you remember uh, Julia Davis I, I worked a lot with? Do you remember a, a programme called Nighty Night? Well, we had, um, we had a... Uh, a scene in Nighty Night 2, I don't know whether you remember this, where she, uh, Julia Davis wanted to get uh, pregnant by Angus Deaton. 
So uh, um, she was going to get pregnant by Angus Deaton, but Angus Deaton was in a coma. <laughs> right, so she steals into the hospital, and basically she gives Angus Deaton, you don't see it, but she gives him under the cover, she gives him a, 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 a you know, a sort of a, a hand job. And, um, and uh, anyway, she's, she's doing it so energetically that the, the seed, as it were, uh, flies off uh, uh, into his dinner, which is on, on, on the tray next to him. And, and it's, it's in the, the mashed potatoes of the, uh, of the dinner. So Ruth Jones gets a spoon and she's spooning the mashed potato up Julie Davis's Luli, uh, uh, as my wife will call it. And the BBC said no. <laughs> Not on the BBC. And uh, so what I did was I, I, I put classical music against it uh, and they said it's fine. <laughs> it was art then. So I, I, I enjoyed my time, and I, I met some lovely people. And I met Judy Dench, and I said to Judy Dench when I met her, I said, I've written you a sex scene. And she said, I oh, know, darling. I, I've never done a sex scene. I said, no, I wrote you a sex scene. She said, I've never, never, never done a sex scene. I said, 30 years ago, BBC Radio 4, you were a slug. And I did. I wrote, uh, I wrote a 20 pages for a 10-minute uh, sex scene that she had she had to be this slug having, having sex uh, and she read it so slowly I had to knock 10 pages off so if anybody wants 10 pages of slug sex uh, I, I'm, I'm your man so that's my claim to fame that, um, that I've done that I say I, I, I met Gorbachev uh, uh, this one in fine fair anyway this was uh, this, this was uh, um, on the Clive Anderson show so Steve was doing um, uh, uh, Tony Farino which is a, uh, one of the things I wrote uh, and uh, and uh, Gorbachev uh, had just been on so he came and stood next to me and all I could think of was that my mate at school had not done his own work and and the teacher said why didn't you do your own work and, and he said, well, I thought the Russians were going to invade and I didn't want the last night of my life to be doing my own work. <laughs> and I thought that was, that was the best lie I'd ever heard up to, up to that point. So that's, that's what I, I was thinking about. But uh, I, I, it, was, it was lovely to get to meet uh, lots of people and, and do lots of things, but I'm, I'm very happy... Uh, Doing what I do now, um, I, I do. Uh, um, I, I, I used to enjoy writing jokes, and I still enjoy writing jokes. I, I remember I used to write Paul Calf. Do you remember people remember Paul Calf? Uh, and I was in Paul Calf. I was Darren in Paul Calf. I don't know. I, I played a part in Paul Calf where I was um, at an orthopedic shoe. And if ever you watch that uh, uh, program, uh, you never see below my waist. And for hours, I stood with this orthopedic shoe, <laughs> acting. And if, you, and if your legs are the same, same length as mine are, you know, if you've got an orthopaedic shoe on, you really have to act. You've got to stand upright, but, you know, no awards for it or anything. <laughs> uh, I remember I wrote a joke for, uh, for Steve once, my favourite joke I wrote for Steve. Um, um, we had... Uh, he was doing Saturday, uh, Saturday Zoo. Do you remember Saturday Zoo? And he used to come on Saturday Zoo and Paul, do Paul Carl. And, um, and he had... Um, Claude Van Damme on the show and he rang me up and I was at my father-in-law's in, in uh, uh, East Anglia and he said uh, can you write me a joke for Van Damme because I've got Van Damme on the show I said well give me five minutes so uh, I had five minutes and, and I wrote him this joke and then about 
30 minutes later, he's on the television doing it. And he comes onto the television. So I'm in East Anglia watching the telly. Uh, and he comes on as Paul Carf. And he said, hey, hey, we've got that, uh, got that uh, Claude Van Damme on the show. I love him because he's got that nickname, Auntie. The Muscles from Brussels. It's great, that. The Muscles from Brussels. Because I've got a similar nickname because I'm from a little village called Munt. 150 quid. <laughs> and, uh, uh, any questions? Oh, uh, uh, the back, Jill. Wouldn't you like to uh, well, I'm hoping to do that at some point. <laughs> But yes, no, I, no, I, I enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed, I enjoyed working with. If you if you write lines on your own uh, in a room uh, and you laugh, uh, 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 you're a bit mad. But if you can sit in a room with Dave Gorman and uh, uh, Carolina Hearn and Steve Coogan and laugh together, and we used to have some great laughs, uh, then that's great. I always used to think I was quite privileged that I was in a room with these people who made other people laugh, and I made them laugh. And I, I used to, I used to love that. It's it's quite quite nice, and I've never been one uh, for uh, ego. I, I, I do this to talk about my lad to sell uh, the. I, I don't need to sell the books. I'm, I'm a millionaire, but uh, I, I, I want you to have the poetry because I, I, I like the poetry. Um, so it's it's good fun, but I I I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be. I'll, I'll never go on television again because I don't trust them. I go on radio because I trust you. She does my radio show with uh, Carl at the back, uh, um, who've come tonight to see if there's any good gags. <laughs> I've not seen them writing, so uh, we're in trouble. Uh, any other... Uh, any other I, I can ask me anything. Yep. Yeah. Sorry? Oh, yes, absolutely. Well, I, I think I trace my writing poetry back to... Uh, reading Small Dreams of a Scorpion by Spike Milligan. And uh, um, so I, I, it was the first book of poetry I ever bought that wasn't at school. Uh, I don't know whether you've read Small Dreams of a Scorpion. So it's, it's a serious book of poetry, not, not his silly verse. Uh, and um, so, uh, you know, and I think mine, my po poems are probably a little bit like that, a little bit like um, uh, uh, the Liverpool poets who are a big fan. I was on Poetry Please, please, re po please. Poetry please recently. Did anybody uh, uh, listen to that? Do, do you have radio in, in, in Ledbury? <laughs> Uh, 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 and I got to meet again uh, uh, Roger McGough. I've met him a, a few times, but he's such a lovely bloke. Uh, you know, um, how he didn't get uh, Poet Laureate, I don't, I don't know. Maybe because he hates the Queen, I don't know. Uh, uh, um, but he's, he's a lovely bloke and he deserves... I, I think he changed the course of poetry. I think in 100 years' time, people will realise that his use of urban imagery, his use of playfulness... Uh, uh, and and you know wordplay, uh, um, there were big markers. You look at anybody that performs poetry now, and you look at the rap uh, poets and and, and all, all the, uh, the 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 poets that, um, that that use performance. It's all based on Roger McGough and Brian Patton and Adrian Henry, uh, um, and you can't find anybody before that. I, I'd include uh, Adrian Mitchell in, in that as well. Uh, oh, I think of as being like the fourth Beatle, as it were, the, the fourth uh, Liverpool poet. Um, so I was inspired very, very much by them. I actually met Spike Milligan, uh, uh, but 
it's quite a weird story. So, so uh, I'd been working in London, and I'd been working all day, and I'd come back to Brighton, and, and I was to judge uh, um, a comedy competition with Spike Milligan, and they sat me next to him. And, and uh, people kept coming up to him, uh, asking for his autograph, and he kept telling him to fuck off. And, and people laughed as though he was joking, but he was, he was actually going to go. Uh, and, uh, and, um, and I sat there, and I wanted, I, wanted, I wanted to relate to him as a person. And he kept telling me his poems. Now, it's lovely that he should tell me his poems, and he was an older bloke at the time. Uh, um, but I, I wanted to relate to him as a person. And so I was trying to think, what do I know about him that's not to do with that. So I, I said to him, oh, you, you live uh, uh, at, I think it's Rye he lives. You live at Rye, don't you? I said, I, I, I live in Brighton because I, like uh, uh, I like the sea. And he leant in and he said, Henry, you're a fascinating man. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and now if I say anything, uh, if I say anything uh, uh, a little bit boring, my wife says, Henry... You're a fascinating man. Thanks a lot. <laughs>